Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, the NEPM News... Khalees Smith's mic doesn't want to work. Come over here, Khalees. We can use the same mic. It's not the first time in this studio. Later in the show, NEPM News Department's Elizabeth Roman talks with Massachusetts Governor Maura Healy about the Governor's Council on Latino Empowerment. And turned cattle farm that has been raising cows in the valley for over 130 years. We hang out with the fourth generation of farmers to steward the operation, Michael and Kathy Austin, about keeping the legacy of Austin Brothers Valley Farm in Belchertown alive for so long. And the latest crop of words have arrived for their first year as official members of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary after the announcement of new words yesterday. Word nerd Emily Brewster will give us a brief overview. Because there's over there's 690 words total, and we only have an hour with you. But right now, it's a fifth verse, same as the first sort of situation on Capitol Hill. Hey, how are you? Good, and you? Tired. Better than that. I'm doing good. <laughs> Why were you up late watching that uh, Republican presidential debate last night? No. You know, we had votes until midnight last night and rules committee. And, yeah, we're, we're, we're still trying to avoid a shutdown working with a bunch of maniacs here so you didn't watch any of the debates though oh i didn't did you i watched some of the highlights it was worth it to try to watch former vice president mike pence try out his comedy shtick i'm glad vivek uh, pulled out of his business deal in 2018 in china that must have been about the time you decided to start voting in presidential elections i I served in congress for 12 years although it seemed longer chris you mentioned the president's situation i my wife uh isn't a member of the teachers union but i got to admit i I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years, and um, the full disclosure. Yeah, I, I'm assuming based on your tone of your voice that it didn't work very well. It's funny because it's not funny. All right, well, that's a, that's a particular talent of humor to have. So. I think so, too. It's kind of my talent of humor, frankly. Yeah. Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Congressman Jim McGovern, the ranking member of the Rules Committee who are working furiously into the middle of the night trying to avert a government shutdown. What is your best guess, Congressman, at this moment, whether or not this shutdown will be happening this weekend or not? Yeah, I mean, so far, I mean, the Speaker of the House has not scheduled any item that would avert a government shutdown. We have no short-term spending bill. The Senate is working on something in a bipartisan way. Democrats and Republicans have come to a tentative agreement on keeping the government running, but nothing in the House. And Kevin McCarthy continues to sell out to the most extreme elements of of the Republican conference. And um, I mean, we met in the Rules Committee last night on something that has nothing to do with keeping the government open. And I said, I said to say this place is a clown show under Republican control is doing disservice to actual clowns. And I was being diplomatic. You've been using Uh, a lot of less than diplomatic language there, too. I liked the quote where it said, I've tried to say this in a nice way, but they have McCarthy by the something that I don't think public radio wants us to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, at at some point you just got to tell it like it is. And I get it. Some people get offended uh, when I do that. But you know what? enough uh and this is this is no joke this is not the model un this is not mock congress uh this is real life and you shut the government down and real people are going to get hurt i've lived through government shutdowns before you have too they are not good and we need to do everything we can to avoid it and buy some more time so that the house and senate can work out their policy differences and then get to a longer term solution that is what we're supposed to do and so it's time for grown-ups to get into a room and figure this out. 
is the most hopeful grown-up at this point, Republican Senator Mitch McConnell, who is trying to send a clean bill to the House. It would take some of the heat off of Speaker McCarthy. Or I guess the other option is McCarthy would have to go and caucus with the Democrats, which would then essentially lose him his speakership, but may help keep the nation from being wounded in a shutdown. Well, I think McCarthy is just lives day to day. He doesn't want to lose his office with all the trappings, uh, but he clearly has no power. He gave it all away to the Freedom Caucus. Some of them have made it very clear. I'm told that there's four or five of them that have said they will never vote for a continuing resolution ever, no matter what you do. That begs the question, why, why is he negotiating with them? And then, you know, they're all over the map. Some people say they want more border security. Well, they come up with a bill that provides more border security. And they say, well, yeah, but that's not what we really want. We want you to strip all Ukraine funding from the bill. Well, the Ukraine funding that's in the defense bill that we're considering right now is money that's been there long before the Russia-Ukraine war. It's like training and support defense monies that have been there for ever and ever. It's not about necessarily fighting the war uh, with Russia. They had two votes. The House voted overwhelmingly to keep that basic aid in place. And then we met last night in the Rules Committee because they don't like the outcome of the vote. So they want to rig the process to strip that out and then bring the defense bill back to the floor. This is all nonsense. But then you say, okay, well, is that it? No, we want to take out all the money that is being used to investigate Donald Trump and the Justice Department. Okay, and if you get that, you done. No, 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 we, we still won't vote for it. So this is the crazy chaos that is happening here. McCarthy should not have given away all of his power, nor should he have changed the rules so that any one of these people can call for his ouster every day of the week if they want. And that's what's happening here. So I don't know how this show ends, whether McCarthy stays or goes or what, but we got to put the country first. You know, and we ought to make sure that programs like WIC and Head Start and nutrition programs and programs to help people heat their homes in the winter, that those programs are protected uh, and not casualties as a result of this Republican infighting. It seems like there are far more people in the middle that are willing to at least compromise, talk about this rationally than the small faction of people that are continuing to be a thorn in Speaker McCarthy's side. At what point does some caucus form between the Democrats and the Republicans that finally would have a big enough majority in both chambers with both parties to silence this extraordinarily loud minority? So you see some bipartisanship in the Senate, right? 77 senators, Democrats and Republicans, that's an overwhelming bipartisan majority, voted for cloture to move the process forward on their compromise CR. So they're working on that now. And if you took the Senate bill, which they will pass probably this weekend, and you put it on the House floor, I bet you over 300 members of Congress and the majority of the Republican conference would, pro- would probably vote for it. But, but is the problem that, that Speaker kind of, McCarthy won't bring the bill to the floor? Yeah, the problem is he won't bring it to the floor problem is he won't schedule it. You know, that's what's so absurd here. Instead, he brings these measures to the floor that uh, are so extreme. We're, we're debating an agricultural appropriations bill right now that guts WIC, that guts nutrition programs, I mean, in ways that you have never seen before. I mean, it's just, it's laughable. I mean, the, how they obliterate these programs. It's, it's, it's laughable, but it's also tragic. There were moderate Republicans can't vote for that. That bill's not going anywhere. Why are we doing that? And again, he keeps on moving more and more to the right. That's in the wrong direction. And we have divided government. Whether I don't, I wish we had all Democrats. I'm sure he wishes he had all Republicans. But the reality is, the Republicans control one half of one branch of government, barely. The Democrats control the Senate and the White House. So, at the end of the day, we all have to talk to one another and work out the best deal we can. 
I'm not going to get everything I want. They're not going to get everything they want. Let's hope we get to a, a, a happy medium where we, we have enough that we agree on that we can pass this stuff. Speaking with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Congressman Jim McGovern, it is looking like the government will shut down, at least for a time, this weekend. Anything that you would say to your constituents that are on Social Security, that are on other uh, assistance programs, that are just going through their day-to-day lives, that they should do to prepare for when the government does shut down? Well, hopefully we can find a way to avert it. And even if it shuts down on Saturday, if we can open it up on Sunday, people won't feel any effects. Social Security recipients will still get their checks, you know, for the time being. The problem comes is that we have a shutdown that goes on for a while because Social Security employees will not be paid. So, you know, the concern is as these things go on, does it take longer to process checks? Does it take longer to deal with people's claims? All that kind of stuff. That's a real problem down the road. But in the short term, Social Security recipients will get their checks. People in our military won't get paid. Federal employees won't get paid. The FAA will be, uh, employees won't be getting paid. Great, and, I'm flying you know, next week. Yeah, so yeah, let's, we'll pray that that doesn't happen so you can feel assured that that everybody's on, on duty when you fly. Yeah. But I mean, all those, I mean, there, there are impacts here. And, but, and here's the other thing. Our credit rating gets downgraded. And people are like, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, what it means is that it's, it's harder to get credit. Or when we get credit, it, the interest rates are at a higher rate. So it costs taxpayers more. I mean, the last shutdown cost billions and billions and billions of dollars to the taxpayers of this country. Our credit rating got demoted. And the bottom line is, like, the world is watching. If, if we can't keep the lights on, what kind of confidence will people around the world, other countries have in the United States in terms of doing business or being a reliable economic partner? So this is not a game. The real people are going to be impacted. And if, and if McCarthy has to face a vote of Republicans to oust him as speaker, so be it. Deal with it. And if you get thrown out, you get thrown out. But do what's right for the country. Closer to home, there was an announcement that $108 million have been announced in federal money for East-West Rail that would go from Boston to Worcester, your hometown, out to Springfield, where we are, and Pittsfield. This is now essentially a reality with this U.S. Federal Railroad Administration announcing this $108 million grant? Yes, it is a reality. And quite frankly, we should have been making this investment years ago. Um, And one of my dreams is that we invest in rail infrastructure in a sensible way over the next 10 years so that in 10 years we have the finest railway system in the world. As you know, over the years, we, we neglected rail. We let the infrastructure deteriorate. We sold off rail that could be used for passenger rail to freight rail. And now we're not as connected as we once were. But rail travel is better for the environment. The investments in in this will actually help greatly with creating more jobs. And it encourages economic development in areas where it's been difficult to attract economic development. So this is a a win-win for uh, for Massachusetts and certainly for communities that I represent uh, from out, out to the west. One of the things I've noticed about the Valley Flyer, which is the route that comes from Greenfield into Northampton and goes to Springfield and on to New Haven and New York City, it's expensive to ride on that train. It's economical if I want to go to New York City by myself, but if I want to bring my family, it's cheaper to drive. Is there a way that this east-west rail that will connect Boston to Pittsfield would be made economical so that it would be more feasible for more people to ride it? I mean, that's what we, we strive to do. Obviously, 
you know, the more people that are utilizing the service, the more opportunities that exist, the more you can deal with lowering the prices. And it's something that, that we want to work with on the state. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to have connections that people can't afford. Are you on a train um, right now? No, I'm, I'm, I'm in my office. And oh. That's the signal that we're coming in in 15 minutes. Oh, so okay. I thought that was like the uh, rail yeah. system running. I wish there. I was on the train <laughs> going to someplace other than going back into the rules committee. Oh, our, our, oh our house floor. This has not been an enjoyable week. Hmm. One last question for you, Congressman Jim McGovern. There's been a lot of drama in the other chamber surrounding Democratic Senator Bob Menendez, who pleaded not guilty yesterday to charges of taking bribes from three New Jersey businessmen. There have been calls for his resignation, even from Democrats. What's your take? Should Senator Bob Menendez resign? Yes, absolutely. I mean, look, um, there are pictures. I mean, there are, there are emails. There are gold bars, a half a million dollars you know, uh, that was found uh, in, in various uh, sport jacket pockets in his house. There's DNA evidence that, you know, where it came from. I mean, you know, sometimes when you're in politics for a long time, you think that Western civilization, as you know it, uh, will end if you're no longer there. Right. That's just not the case. And he ought to, ought to leave and do what's right, uh, you know, for New Jersey. But also, um, he's tarnishing the United States Senate by remaining. So he should he should resign immediately. The gold bars in the pockets thing, though, I mean, that's like a classy level of corruption there. You don't see that frequently. This isn't just sheer money laundering. Gold bars. This is like bond level villain stuff. And he was Googling how much these gold bars were worth and how do you cash them in. So but beyond that, uh, you know, the five hundred thousand dollars in in cash all throughout his wardrobe. I mean, what's that about? It's clear what happened. And uh, everybody's presumed innocent, you know, until they're proven guilty. But this is the second time that he has been investigated for corruption. This time uh, they have pictures and they have evidence. And, I, and, and again, look, we, 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 we should care about the integrity of, of, our, of our governmental institutions and whether people have confidence that the people who serve are honest and not corrupt. And so he should resign and focus on his family and focus on his case. U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts joins us every Thursday. You can ask a question of the congressman by emailing thefab413 at nepm.org. Talk to you again next week. Thanks so much. All the, all the best. Thanks. Coming up, more governing with the governor herself and the NEPM News Department's Elizabeth Roman talking about the governor's new council on Latino empowerment. Plus, a beefy conversation with the 130-year-old generational Austin Brothers Valley Farm in Belchertown. But up next, our dictionary in Springfield has just been embiggened by 690 new words, and we think that is a very cromulent thing. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Ellie Brewster, resident wordster, our fearless editor from Merriam-Webster in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yesterday, we broke the news, amongst other news as we broke, that there were 690 new words added to the dictionary yesterday. More than the last two years, I do believe, combined. And a lot of these words are really fun. We talked a little bit about zhuzh yesterday. We talked about NGL, not going to lie. What are some other standout words to you, Emily Brewster, that you want to focus on? And then Khalees and I will, will hit you up with some of our favorites from this new list. You know, I think riz, that's a cute one. It's a noun, slang noun that means romantic appeal or charm. It's short for charisma, or it can mean to charm or seduce. I like that one. I thought it was short for Riza from Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, we love you, Thank you. 
he's so charming, but no, R-I-Z-Z, <laughs> not R-Z-A. That's right, R-I-Z-Z. There's also doggo, a slang word for dog. You know, sometimes when we enter words, people say like, oh, this is, you know, of course, doggo should be in there because it's been used so much. Sometimes a word is kind of a like ho-hum addition because it seems so much a part of the language. But the fact is that sometimes a word explodes in use that makes it seem like it's always been there. There are other ones, though, that I wouldn't say are ho-hum, but that I look at the list and I'm like, I can't believe that this is only now getting in the dictionary, like cold open yeah. from, you know, Saturday Night Live has been doing a cold open since the 1970s. Live from New York, it's Saturday Night That is a thing that people may be familiar with, but the term cold open is really only become more common in the broader lexicon as opposed to the entertainment industry itself, that its qualification for entry is new. What about jorts? How do you feel about oh, jorts? Yeah, I was about to bring up jorts. How do you feel about jorts? <laughs> I don't know. Like the first time I ever heard jorts, I'm like, this word makes me uncomfortable and I don't ever really want to hear anyone use it again. And I kind of feel that way. Like I'm both pleased and also appalled that I'm pleased that it's in the dictionary. <laughs> I am all for the word jorts. I'm Ugh, personally just... opposed to wearing jorts, and which I... are denim jean, uh, <sighs> jean shorts. Knowing how that word sounds, my ears rebel. <laughs> <laughs> but do you wear jorts, Khalees? Yes, because they're comfortable. Do you, Emily Brewster? I don't think I have a pair of jorts. I don't either. Oh, well, here's one I really want to talk about. This was the top of Khalees in our list, I think. We both really were psyched to see this in here. Padawan. It was the top of your list. I was on my list. Definitely top of yours. Tell people who don't know what a Padawan is, and was it Ahsoka that pushed this into the, the dictionary this week? <laughs> the new Disney Plus television show. I didn't expect to see you so soon. Anakin. Or was it like the 40 plus years of Star Wars yeah. fandom? More the latter, uh -huh. yeah. Padawan is defined, it's given an informal label, and it's defined as a young person, especially when regarded as naive, inexperienced, etc. Server Anakin! I have the high ground! And then there's a note that says, note, this use of Padawan has its origin in the fictional universe of the Star Wars franchise, where the term Padawan refers to aspiring Jedi Knights whose education is overseen by a Jedi Master. It also has a note saying it's often used humorously as a form of address. This is not part of what has been added to the dictionary as far as I know, but people use Padawan in conversation when they're not Jedi in the same way that they might have used the word grasshopper, grasshopper from the television show Kung Fu from the 1970s. Do you hear the grasshopper which is at your feet? Old man, how is it that you hear these things? Young man, how is it that you do not? So is grasshopper in the dictionary with the same type of meaning as Padawan? No, it's not. We should make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that actually segues into another word that had made my list. Edgelord made it into the dictionary. Yeah, there are a bunch of uh, terms from the gaming world, although edgelord is not only used in the gaming world, it's uh, but it is used in the online world. And edgelord is someone who makes wildly dark and exaggerated statements, as on an internet forum, with the intent of shocking others. Maybe they... Uh by the platform where they make those statements. And destroy it from the inside. Yeah, Still disturbing to watch. How about Finsta? Do you like Finsta? This is actually my first encounter with Finsta. I have teenage oh, children. You have teenage children. So they have instructed me over the years what a Finsta
finsta is, but if you're olds like us, what is a finsta? You're- this word is also labeled slang, and it is defined as a secret or incognito account on the Instagram photo sharing service. Yeah. So it is Instagram specific, and it's a fake account, basically. And that that's the etymology, fake Instagram, Insta. I have heard Finsta used in the opposite, where it's actually your real, the one that you're less likely to show publicly, where more curated people are looking at it. So it's more of your friend's Insta. That's kind of the same thing. Like it's your it's your incognito account. But, it's not the public face. Right. It might okay. be the more you. Yes. So not not as fake. So interesting that, that my children, I'm friends with them on Instagram, but I am not part of their Finsta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that would be Oh, weird. interesting. Yeah. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fake weird. Insta is the word's etymology, but as you note, that is not how it's defined. It's not defined as a fake account. It's mm-hmm. a secret or incognito. Uh-huh. Yes. So grammable in yep. connection with Instagram also got into the dictionary this year. Yeah. Suitable to be posted on the Instagram photo sharing service. Grammable. Oh, yeah. Like, so if you get a nice meal, you want to take a picture of it. And right. that is now there's a word to talk about that. That's right. Or some some lovely landscape in Vermont, some farm and some secluded farm that is Instagrammable. You heard about <laughs> the town that had to close a road because too many people were going up there to take pictures. Oh, of oh what? No. Beautiful farm. Oh, man. Oh, stop it, Internet. Well, it it kind of goes along with like more and more roads putting up signs going, yeah, your GPS is wrong. Please don't take this. That's helpful. (laughs) That that makes me think of another word. The word is pro-social. It's an adjective. It means intended to help or benefit another person or group. So those could be pro-social signs. And did that one just get added to? Yes. Pro-social is a new one also. We're speaking with Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield, who have just added 690 new words to the dictionary. I feel like this one rose to prominence because of the pandemic. Quiet quit. Is that where we trace that word back to? Very much. The, the word, actually, this is such a new word. It is unusual for a word to get in so quickly. Our first known evidence of this word is from 2022. Ah. And it was in the news a lot starting then. It was noted as this trend of people refusing to do more than the minimum amount of work that was being asked of them by an employer. That is called quiet quitting. I did some loud quitting in 2022, I think. Uh, that would that would qualify for one of the other words that made it into the dictionary, rage quit. <laughs> I didn't quite rage quit. <laughs> yeah, that does, I don't think that counts as a, as a rage quit. Now, rage quitting is not just in employment situations. Right. You can rage quit anything. It, we actually categorized it under not having to do with employment, but specifically having to do with uh, gaming and other screens because people will often rage quit a game. Mm-hmm. So they will quit in anger. I've done that on many occasions. <laughs> Kalise and I have gone over our all of our mutual friend Bob Kraskowski's house and played video games into the wee hours. And there is uh, some rage quitting going on occasionally. And there are often speed runs which happen yes. during that time frame, which is another gaming word that entered the dictionary. Yes. A speed run is a timed playthrough of a video game or portion of a video game completed as quickly as the player is able to complete it. Shout out to my friend Dan Warren, who does speed run so many games incredibly well. Another word that I really like that came from the world of pop culture 
is cromulent. Can we talk <laughs> oh, about yes. that? I love the word cromulent. It's labeled informal and humorous, and it means simply acceptable or satisfactory. This word now is the second word from the Simpsons that we have added, and the two were coined in the same episode. Ah. It was season seven, episode 16. It aired uh, February 18th, 1996. The episode is called Lisa the Iconoclast. Uh-huh. Wait, so what was the second word? Do you know? No. Wait, let me think. All right, here, here's the here's the quote. A noble spirit embiggens the smallest man. Yeah! <laughs> I should have known. I love that word. I use it all the time. So now we've got cromulent in there from The Simpsons, That's right. too. Then this voice or somebody else says, Embiggens? Hmm. Never heard that word before I moved to Springfield. I don't know why. It's a perfectly cromulent word. <laughs> and now both of those are in the dictionary. Now the set is complete. <laughs> the words were created on a dare. Dan Greeny apparently coined embiggen, and David X, uh, formerly David S. Cohen, coined cromulent. And now they are both uh, fully established in the language. It almost is as if Merriam-Webster is a simp for the Simpsons. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> simp is another word that entered the dictionary. It is. What is yes. simp? Right, means to show excessive devotion to or longing for someone or something. Now, I will remind you that that episode aired in 1996, so we were none too hasty to just um, <laughs> for the Simpsons. But you can use simp as a, as a synonym for Stan now. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. could before, but now now it's extremely official. Yeah. Since my family is full of wrestling fans and you just saw Cassandro, yeah. we should bring up kayfabe. This is an interesting one. It sure is. <laughs> kayfabe is the tacit agreement between professional wrestlers and their fans to pretend that overtly staged wrestling events, stories, characters, etc., are genuine. Broadly, tacit agreement to behave as if something is real, sincere, or genuine when it is not. You try to tell me at 540 pounds, whatever you are, that you cannot be slammed? Are you understanding English or no? If I had given five minutes, I could slam you myself. I don't care. You're saying John Stuckman at 520. Is that a portmanteau? Like, where do the where do those sounds come from? And its wrestling? etymology is not at all certain. Some people think that it may have to do with Pig Latin, Akefe, and yeah. then reshuffling the letters. Ah. But our etymologist does not think that that is the root of it. There is a letter to the sports editor of the Chicago Tribune in 1971 concerning a fight between somebody named Dick the Bruiser and Angelo Poffo. And it was signed Mark Kayfabe, a name that was you know, presumably made up from Mark as in the victim of a con mm -hmm. and Kayfabe. But the earliest evidence we have of Kayfabe being used in the way we've defined it comes from 1988. So it's it's really not at all clear where this word came from. Maybe. What it refers to, I think, is, is fascinating, though. Yes. And there's a whole documentary about it involving the Hart brothers that if you are tangentially interested in wrestling at all or the history of wrestling, especially where it lives in the television world is worth a watch. And watch Cassandra because they talk about kayfabe a little bit in there too. They don't use that word because it's mostly in Spanish. But <laughs> well, I think this 690 words, Emily Brewster, is going to give us plenty of fodder to talk about for the next few weeks at least. And if you, listener, are uh, particularly pleased with any of these new words or very angry about any of them, we <laughs> definitely want to hear about it. You can email us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text us at 
9120. We're caping you. That means we're like superheroing you? We're supporting. Supporting you. Okay, right. That, that kind of cape. Not like the kind of cape that I like to go to in the it's summertime. A new, it's also a new definition That's in the right. dictionary. Cape as a verb. We've got plenty of time to talk about all these, Khalees. Like, I'm, plenty sci- of I'm just really excited because new words are fascinating. On the way, the governor was recently in conversation with our colleague Elizabeth Roman, and we will be too. But first, cows! Tasty, tasty cows with Austin Brothers Valley Farm. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. We, we all talk about if you find a job you, lo- you love, you never work a day in your life. And uh, ever since I could walk, I guess, and even probably before that, I was in the cow barn doing something with the cows. I mean, you when you get up every day and you're that's what you want to go do. You didn't choose it, it chose you. Basically. When when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. You work every day of your life. life. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a local hero spotlight with Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero folks, and Mike and maybe Kathy Austin <laughs> from Austin Brothers Valley Farm in Belchertown. I got a cryptic text from Phil Corman last week just yes. randomly asking me, if you have a hamburger, how do you like it cooked? And of course, Monty answers it without asking why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> just what rare. But I think I have figured this out because you have brought a bag of something, Mike. And I see buns, too, so I mean, I'm, I'm not that thick. Today we brought uh, for a taste test for Monty and, and friends a uh, homegrown hamburger right from uh, from Austin Brothers Valley Farm at 270 West Street in Belchertown. Because kids, as you know, hamburgers grow on trees. That's right. And then <laughs> your farm is over a century old. How long has that farm been in existence in Belchertown? Uh, whatever the math is, since uh, 1889. And is it been your family the entire time? It has, yeah. So what generation are you? Kathy's doing the math for Mike over here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fourth generation. Our, our kids are fifth, and uh, grandkids are now sixth. So is, you, is the fifth generation likely to continue the farming tradition? We won't make the sixth make a decision at this point. Uh, there's a strong interest, strong interest in it, yes. Mm. Yep. I'm kind of curious, how many acres on the farm? The farm itself is 150. 150, because I was thinking, like, you should do some celebration when you have 150 years on the farm and 150 acres. Oh, yeah, right. There you go. Cows have always or long been a part of this farm, but not the same kind of cows. You, like many of the farmers we've talked to over the years, it was a dairy farm. Did it start as a dairy farm? I believe it started as a dairy farm, yes. My grandfather had a herd of cows. I worked there all the time, but milk cows on the weekends... 1996, we took the business over. 2006, I we decided we were going to discontinue milking cows. Physically too tired, and we were going in the wrong direction financially. And we switched into um, the beef cattle and retailing product. Why is it so much easier to raise beef cattle and make it financially feasible than dairy? Well, I guess the dairy cattle itself, you buy everything retail and you sell everything wholesale. And you've got to milk cows twice a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's any easier, but at least if you are, if we are retailing your beef or wholesaling your beef at your own your own choosing of what you want for your product, then you have a somewhat control over what you're going to re- receive for your product. With the dairy, you're told by, by the milk company what they're going to give you. And those prices are set by the federal government, right? I can't speak for that, whether it is or not, but everybody would like to say they got their hand in it. Yeah. I, I talked to a guy the other day. They put a freestyle barn up 40 years ago. Milk was 1850, 
and today it's under 17 bucks. Wow. Everything else in the world has suffered from inflation but milk. If only we could put milk in our cars. I know. Well, the future is bright. I don't know how that would work anyway. But uh, we're speaking with Mike Austin from Austin Brothers Farm in Belchertown. And Kathy's over there in the wings. We're not speaking. Fact-checking and and checking our math. Tell us where we can get your beef. You come down to 270 West Street. You call my wife. And she's the one that knows what she's doing in the store and what she has. She puts together bundles. You can pick whatever you want piece by piece, uh, whether it's a hamburger or a roast or five steaks or whatever. If you just want a hamburger, the local pub right in Belchertown, McCarthy's Pub, sells our hamburger. We get the farmer's markets during the summer. Sutter's Meats carries our carries our, our beef. Downtown Northampton. Downtown Northampton, King Street. Fern Valley Farm, if you're looking for a thing to do, they uh, they sell our burger and uh, apple picking season. We have our corn maze that's going to open up here this weekend, uh, whatever those dates are. The 30th uh, of September, I believe, is when it opens up. Yeah, this okay, Saturday. So, yeah. And we, uh, we serve our burgers there. So that's a few places you can get stuff at. Yeah. And you have a pick-your-own-pumpkin patch, too? We have a pick your own pumpkin patch. We have a corn maze. Uh, hay rides out to the out to the cow pastures, and that's always fun because the um, I bring along a little bit of feed, and everybody gets to feed the livestock off the trailer, and the cattle get right into it just as well as the people. That's fun. <laughs> How big of a piece of the puzzle of your business is this agrotourism? Kind of a big piece in a short window because we're only yeah. open five weeks, eleven days, maybe twelve days at the most. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot packed into the month of October. Right. And the irony is, your farming depends in somewhat on weather. Hay and all that gets totally impacted. But so is your agritourism. So you kind of need the good weather on the weekends. Oh, good. For we're, those five weekends, it's we're, essential. We're a slave to the weather, no matter what it is. We really didn't need all the weather we got this year. Yeah. How did the rain actually impact your farm? Generally on our farm, um, we're very, the water table is very high to begin with, and now it's simply overflowing. The majority of our hay we, we did in about 12 days, 10 to 12 days, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where I even had our corn silage professionally chopped because they had bigger equipment that could go through the mud and, and get the job done where mine would still be standing out there in the water. I don't know. We, we've had bad years, but this has been the worst year. Hmm. Mike Austin from Austin Brothers Valley Farm in Belchertown. I've been very patient looking at whatever's in those bags okay, and the buns three. over there. You can see through the bags? <laughs> no, but I think don't I can I can, I can. surmise <laughs> what's in there. Can we open those bags and, and yeah, do a, go, go a ahead. taste go, session? Go for it. You want to grab them? Okay. You got, you got to build them. Okay. It's a build-your-own bun and burger. It's like a Build-A-Bear workshop, but you eat the bear. Now my wife says, did you wrap it up in tinfoil so it'd be warm? And it's still warm. Yeah. Warm. But I didn't put it in a bag so it wouldn't leak. I'm not mad about that. Okay. I'm going to do something real gross with my bread. So, like... I love it. Mike and Khalees are building the burgers in the studio. We could do a play-by-play commentary. Khalees has brought out a paper plate. Oh, she's opening up the bag. Here come the brioche buns. Monty, are you, you're making your own, yes? I'm not doing this for... I can come over there and do that, yeah. Well, we have taken over the radio station yeah. here as so they're making their hamburgers, and this was the intent all along. Monty's figuring out what to put on the bun now that he got ripped off on the juice that was inside the bag. I made we go from a radio show to a culinary? People of public radio never get a chance to eat food, nor do they get paid enough. <laughs> Farmers bring food to public radio show. Imagine that. Farmers feed you three times a day. That's true. And this time it's going to be the best time. (laughs) Cooked just the way I like it, Phil. Delish. (laughs) 
Tell us about the lives of your cows before we eat them. The lives of our cows? Yeah. How are you raising them? What are they eating? All that kind of stuff. Uh, the cattle we have on our farm, we have a small little herd of brood cows. Cows calve out in spring. Cows and calves go to the pasture for the summer. Come this time of year, they get to enjoy three to 4,000 people feeding them for 10 <laughs> days out of the year. <laughs> Once they reach a certain, certain size, certain age, we do put them in confinement, and they're fed a... Um, a TMR, a total mixed ration, um, which I've got a great big Cuisinart. I'll take a round, couple <laughs> round bales, dump them in, it grinds them, grinds that hay up, put the corn silage with it, put some distiller's grains with it, put some minerals with it. We make a growthy mix that uh, grows, them, grows them well and puts a little layer of fat in there. Distiller's grain like spent grain from brewing? Can be, yep. What types of cows are they? There's many breeds and then people like many breeds for different reasons. I like the Angus cattle. Uh, crossed on different breeds, but we have Angus, there's some Herefords, there's a Charolais or two. Uh, you'll even find a couple of dairy breeds in there. Where do you process the beef? All our beef gets processed up to Adams Farm in uh, Athol, Mass. The Adams Farm family, pretty outstanding bunch to work with. In this area, that's the only USDA slaughter facility, but we could use another one because people come from all over, all over New England to go to Adams. So, Mike, I... You know, you've grown up in a farm family. The farm called to you to stay there. I'd, I'd love you to just talk a little bit about what it's like for both of you to raise your family on a farm and, and why is that so important to both of you? It's a lifestyle that I've thoroughly enjoyed watching our kids grow up in. I'd like to say it makes them to be better humans. My girls are very... They have horses. They like horses. They love horses. Does that come from anyone else in the family by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> Kathy is in the studio. Come on, Kathy. Come by the... Yeah! yeah. She's on mic. <laughs> Tell us about your love of horses, Kathy. How long have you been riding? Oh, since I was eight. You grew up with horses on a farm? Nope. I begged for a pony, and my parents got me a pony. You're like the only person on earth that that worked for. Everybody <laughs> no, begs no, their parents no, for a pony. No, no, no. no. Your, your own children? Our daughter, Rachel, she was going to turn four, and she went, <laughs> she went in the barn, in the cow barn, and told her father, I couldn't possibly turn four unless I had a pony. Uh, so guess what she got for her fourth birthday? <laughs> wow. A cow! <laughs> Yeah. Nope, a pony. Well, that's a pony. that's yeah. pretty great. My yeah. pony. Khalees, how did you like the burger? I love the burger. I love the burger, too. Mike and Kathy Austin from Austin Brothers Valley Farm in Belchertown, raising families and delicious food for families, including these burgers that Khalees and I are eating. And Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero. Folks, you can find out more about all of our local heroes at buylocalfood.org. It's not easy making money delivering hamburgers to radio personalities. I'll, <laughs> I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> the corn maze at Austin Brothers Valley Farm, again, opens up this weekend, September 30th, and your last chance to get their beef at the Belchertown Farmers and Artisans Market is this Sunday, October 1st. Not because of anything with the farm, but just because that's the last market of the season. CISA is an underwriter of NEPM and now officially a storytelling partner. You can listen to the CISA organized Field Notes live storytelling event as part of the NEPM Valley Voices podcast. Up next, Governor Maura Healy talking with our car colleague Elizabeth Roman about her new Council on Latino Empowerment. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. 
The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. It's Hispanic Heritage Month, the first month for Maura Healy as governor of Massachusetts. Among the many issues on Healy's plate, helping find shelter and other resources for the thousands of immigrant families arriving in the state. Many, but not all, from Latin American countries. They are fleeing from what Healy calls unimaginable hardship and heartache. You know, that's what has compelled them to come here and to come here at great risk to themselves and their children in many instances. But here they are. And so, you know, we're just trying to find a way to make all of this work. But it is going to require more direct intervention, immediate intervention by the federal government. Governor Healy's comments came during an interview with NEPM's Elizabeth Roman at the State House. Elizabeth began by asking Healy about the governor's Council on Latino Empowerment and what she wants the council to accomplish in her first term. One of the things that was really important to me was to uh, make sure that we empower people um, and that we're working collaboratively with community. And I set up the Latino Empowerment Council because I wanted people to understand that that's really what I was going for, empowerment, right? And I wanted a council that was going to be willing to get out, have listening sessions, and come back and bring to me, Governor, here's what we need to do to create wealth in our community. Here's what we need to do to address a housing crisis. Here's what we need to do to close health disparities, and so on and so forth. And I am grateful to the members of our Latino Empowerment Council. I meet regularly with them. They presented me recently with recommendations, which I'm very much looking forward to implementing. Um, So many good ideas about what we can do and make happen now, right, and make happen now. And so, you know, that's, that's the work of the council. And let's dive a little bit into the um, language accessibility executive order that you signed recently. Obviously, in Springfield and Holyoke, there's a large Latino population that's bilingual, but some of them are only Spanish-speaking. So talk a little bit about um, how that's going. It's been a week only, I know, but how are the agencies reacting to that? Do you feel it's going to take a long road to get to a point where these things can be achieved, or are they kind of getting there already? I issued an order, an executive order, requiring all agencies to have language accessibility because we cannot do our job and serve the public unless we're there speaking their language. You know, it is just, it's so basic. And as somebody who used to be a civil rights lawyer, I care so much about people's ability to access government and services. And sometimes, you know, there are different barriers, right? And one of the barriers can be language. Well, we just got to take that out of the equation. At the same time, we also need to increase our language capacity on our teams, on our staff. It also means more representation. I'm proud of all of the Latinos we've brought into the administration, working at all levels, so, so important, because you know we're not gonna have the policies and the laws and the actions that we need that meet the moment and what we need to do to serve our communities unless we have everyone represented at the table. And so um, language accessibility is basic. Um, you're not gonna be able to access a service if you can't understand the website, if you can't understand the form that you're supposed to fill out, it's as basic as that. 
And let's switch gears a little bit to education, but that also has to do with accessibility and language. A lot of students, particularly in Holyoke, are only Spanish speaking. A.G. Campbell has certified this potential ballot question that would eliminate the MCAS as a requirement for graduation. And I know that you have been supported by the MTA and also um, have spoken pretty vocally about finding alternatives. My question is really, do you think it's something that should be taken to the voters to decide, or is it really a, a question for DESE and for individual school districts to continue to look at? Well, I think that if, if there are enough signatures collected, then it will be for the voters to decide. I think what's important, though, as governor, I want to make sure that what we're doing for our students is setting them up for success. I want to make sure that in Massachusetts, where we are proud to be home to the first public school in the country. We have a right to an education enshrined in our Constitution. We want to make sure that we are doing everything that we can for our students. That's why, as governor in my first budget, I funded fully the Student Opportunity Act. We made historic investments in K-12 education. We supported, for example, educator diversity. We know that students do not do as well when they don't have a teacher, an educator in the classroom who looks like them, who speaks their language. We have to work on educator diversity. And with the MCAS, it's an assessment tool, really. And the question for me and the conversations and the policy work that DESE and the government need to do is around what is it we're assessing? What are the things that we aren't assessing that we should be assessing? Because we want to set our students up for success. I never want a test to punish our students. Our job is to support students, to meet them where they are, to help them grow, to help them learn. No matter what happens with a ballot question, that's the work that my administration is going to do. You know, we know that for people who, for students for whom English is not their first language, the MCAS or any test can present challenges if not done, if not presented in a way that is fair and equitable. So, you know, we always want to remove biases from any program, any test um, included. And so, you know, th these are some of the things that we're working on and looking at because, you know, it's a matter of fairness. Uh, so, Farm Resiliency Fund, we, a lot of talk is focused on farmers themselves, which there are many Latino farmers, and also on like the impacts on the economy. But I'm curious about the migrant workers that, you know, that work on these farms, that travel that with their families throughout different places. Can you talk about how these funds are helping those families and what you've heard you know, from migrant families that depend on this? Oh, it's absolutely devastating, the weather, the flooding that we saw, particularly in western and central Massachusetts that destroyed over 100 farms. And with that, the livelihoods of, of the workers. And so our team acted quickly. We sought $20 million from the legislature, and we also stood up a migrant fund. And uh, we were able to, to raise through philanthropy just over $3 million to go to these funds. Some of that money is going directly to workers um, to help make a, make a payroll. Uh, it's really important that we take this moment to realize and to, to take action. These storms are, are the direct consequence of climate and failures in, in leadership to act when it comes to doing what we need to do to address climate change. We also need to think of the workforce because it's always the case with weather and with the climate crisis we're in. It is communities of color and it is lower income people who are always disproportionately adversely affected by these events. 
And so we need to make sure that we're providing the support, we're strengthening that infrastructure, um, we stand with the workers, we stand with migrant workers. Um, we would not be able to have the economy that we have were it not for the contributions of our migrant workers. That's Massachusetts Governor Maura Healy speaking with NEPM's Elizabeth Roman, who joins us now. Now all three of us have talked to the governor. Yay, we're in a tiny club. (laughs) You were, though, uh, the only Latina journalist from Western Mass to have a conversation like this, specifically about this Council on Latino Empowerment. Who from Western Mass is part of that council? So Samalit Hogan um, was an original member of the council. They have since, I think, added one or two. Actually, we did a story on the fact that they only had one. Mm. Because when it first came out, I was like, what's up with that? And they were... (laughs) Her office was super receptive to that. And they're like, listen, we're, you know, it's it's a it's a commute to get, you know, to get people here. But we are open to it if other uh, other members want to join. And since then, I believe they've gotten other members. Good, because I mean, like Zoom is real. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What's your take on the governor herself? Yeah, it was cool. I, I've o- only ever seen her in settings where it's a press conference. So this was this was an actual one-on-one where we got to sit down in her office and um, what well, was actually the office next to hers. So it was it was cool. I got to walk around the building, uh, and she was really thorough. She knows a lot about Western Massachusetts, which I, w- I was very relieved to to hear um, that she is well aware of the concerns and the issues that we have. You know, not mentioned in the the article. We asked so many. There were so many questions asked. We talked about East West Rail, and that was before this big announcement that we got about getting you know. This federal money, 100 million, but she invested in her budget 12 million for it because she believes in it. Um, she talked about it being, I actually wrote it down to make sure I quoted her properly, uh, important for climate, important for economic growth, and it's important as a matter of fairness for people in Western Mass to have access to Boston, but also for them to have access to us here. Yes. Speaking of fairness, did you talk yes. to her about the Big E? I did. I, uh, she was intrigued by the fact that I lived there. So <laughs> when I, in, my, in my previous job, I, uh, I got to spend 17 days there as an entrenched reporter. So we talked a little bit about that and about what she was planning on eating there and meeting the people she was going to meet. She was excited about coming. What was she excited Wait, about? Anything in particular? Yeah, well, she, there. she knew she – Yeah, we, that's a conversation for another day. Um, so she was excited to go to the Massachusetts house. Obviously, she stopped at all the booths. I know she got away with some um, – some maple cotton candy, which is one of my favorites. And you've got to have the the maple cream cone as well, which I know she tried. So. NEPM's Elizabeth Roman, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, it's a wine battle royale when Calise ventures off to Dare Bottle Shop and Provisions in Lenox to taste a gauntlet of Cabernet Francs with Allison. Slute. Slute yeah. of Cab Franc Chronicles. Plus, we'll have live music Friday with Rising Valley icon and multidisciplinary artist Red Jasper presenting Queertivity, a, moon, a moonlit extravaganza of BIPOC creativity and art Friday night in East Hampton. This is Genuine, the artist that Elizabeth Roman went to go see at the Big E last night. Yeah. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.